<laughs> well, also in the morning, you know, I had to go back to the bus stop. I had to walk out of the Medina. The Medina is always the walled-in ancient part of any city. And they have live hyenas. They have hyenas that they feed there just as a tradition. Mm-hmm. And so the hyenas kind of wander around at night. You know, I didn't see any during the day, but I had to leave the little house of these ladies like about five o'clock in the morning. It was still dark. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I don't meet up with any hyenas. You know, I mean, I was a little concerned. Oh, my God. But, you know, I just go, I'll just beat them off with my backpack or something, (laughs) you know, and uh, luckily nothing happened. My name is Trish, full name Patricia Soto, but it's Patricia Trish Soto. I consider myself a global citizen, a fanatic, obsessive, addicted to cultures Mm -hmm. throughout the world. I was born in Michoacan, Mexico, but I really consider myself a a citizen of the entire world. And as you know, Erica, I am obsessed with travel because of my obsession with culture. And I have been so lucky, you know, to be given no fear in this life. So I have no fear of going and traveling by myself and just to see the cultures, you know, to to just observe what's there in front of me. Professionally, I was a teacher for many, many years, but that was really to pay the rent, although luckily I was good at it. I'm also an artist, which is actually probably my biggest gift. Yeah. But that's something I have not explored fully. It's an ability that comes to me very naturally. Mm -hmm. But... I also want to be an actress and I want to be a singer and I want to be, uh, you know, study belly dancing. Yes. And so I have many goals at age 63. Yes. <laughs> I think that you are absolutely fearless. Sometimes I think I restrict myself as a woman. Maybe I tell myself that there's things that I can't do because I'm a woman. I do have a fear of doing certain things by myself, like traveling. Mm-hmm. I've never done it. I've never gone somewhere by myself. And that to me is like, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Those, but you do it all the time. Those are the things that I have no fear of. Now I do have some fears, Yeah, which, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get rid of them in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of them is fear of financial ruin. But, yeah. you know, I don't foresee that because I catch myself when I have, you know, like, oh my God, what if, you know, this happens financially, but I catch myself because I know, no, no, mm-hmm. that there is enough for all of us. And yes. if I have to remind myself, I just put on Deepak Chopra, Yes, you know, the seven spiritual laws of success, mm-hmm. you know, and it sets me straight. Yeah. In terms of, you know, finances or having any kind of fear about, uh, you know, not having enough or, you know, whatever. Did but that's you an read- old, very old, old fear. Uh, of financial ruin. A, a financial ruin or not having enough. Because I did used to sleep in my car when I was 19. Yeah. So, wow, I didn't <laughs> I know that so, about you. Yes. So, you know, so I think some of that might be with me. You know, my when I left home when I was 19, mm-hmm. and then I didn't have anything. And so I had to just totally be on my own. Yeah. Why and did you with, leave home, Trish? I had a very, very severe father Mm-hmm. And I had uh, a mom that was trying to get along with him. Mm-hmm. So I had no support. Okay. And then just, you know, it kind of uh, got into physical violence many times. But, you know, that is so water under the bridge for me, especially yeah. with my dad. All yeah. is forgiven. Yeah. You know, from my end and his end. You know, he died in 2001. And I am so complete and grateful to him. Because he was very, very hardworking, and he gave me the work ethic I have. Wow. He had a lot of crosses to bear, and I recognize that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful, you know, to have that clarity. Yeah. So I don't have to live carrying his cross or carrying anger yeah. or resentment mm-hmm. with him. Yes. You know, so I'm very grateful to that. So I left when I was 19 because, you know, I was doing, you know, drinking and going out, sneaking out and all that. And Mm -hmm. they found me out and I knew I had to leave. 
Oh, because you weren't going to give up the drinking and having fun? No, it wasn't that. I knew I was in big trouble. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh. I knew that it was something that I could not paper over. Right. I knew it was something that he would be really, really angry, and I was afraid of what he would do. Yeah. So I loaded up my clothes and my Volkswagen Beetle, and I left home forever. Wow. That was in 1979. Wow. And I slept in my car sometimes. And Did had, you couch surf? Did you have a lot of friends who supported I you? I didn't. Luckily, um, my friend Velda, wherever she is now, you know, I just appreciate her and would love to see her and ask her forgiveness for, you know, me not being the best of friends all the time. But she actually moved out of her house and moved in with me. Wow. So we got this crazy little place that we lived in, Canoga Park. Mm-hmm. That we call the Roadhouse, yeah, and it was Party Central, <laughs> yes, you know. So then I it can was see on. it. I'm seeing it. You're painting the picture. I'm seeing it. Yes, that's wonderful. So when did you start to travel? I started traveling probably when I was 18, and that was only I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the year before I left home, I started traveling in Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go on a bus for ten bucks different places. And I still got to see culture because I was fascinated by the indigenous cultures of Chiapas and Oaxaca and those places. And then my own state of Michoacán. You know, I just started taking buses around Mexico when I was like 16, 18, 18 by myself. Wow. But I didn't have any money to go anywhere else, You're although I wanted so to. You're so amazing, Trish. You are incredible. And it's so inspiring because when I hear you talk about this stuff, it makes me feel like I could do it. And I, I, I'm, like I said, I get in my own way a lot, but then I, I hear your stories and I'm like, man, Trish is out there doing it. I should just go. I should just do it. I totally agree. You know, that there's a certain freedom with traveling by yourself. Mm-hmm. To me, traveling, and I have traveled with others, but traveling by myself, I have the opportunity to observe. And I have the opportunity, if I want to stay in one place for, you know, three hours in a certain restaurant or a certain place, I can do that and just observe. And a lot of times that's how I meet people. Yeah. Because you I'm really know so many people in talking, you know, everywhere, even when I don't speak the same language. Mm-hmm. I have one on my Instagram, I have a, a video of, I just followed these ladies because they were talking to me and, you know, I didn't understand. They didn't understand me, but I thought I was getting invited to a wedding. Mm-hmm. It was in the <laughs> town of Harar yeah. in very eastern Ethiopia near the uh, border of Somalia. And they were dressed, these women were dressed like, I swear to God, they looked just like beautiful birds, just mm-hmm. really bright colors. And I knew they were in a procession going somewhere. So I started just following along just to see, you know, where they were going. I wasn't going to like barge in or anything. Yeah. But then a lady started saying something to me. And to me, it was like gesturing, come with us. Yes. And sure enough, I arrived there and a lot of women were sitting on the ground playing instruments, you know, little instruments. And then others were under a canopy from a United Nations refugee canopy. They were dancing. Yeah. So then they like gestured me into come and dancing. You know, I love to dance. Yes. You know, so I was dancing and then I got to meet the mother of the bride. Wow. And I happened to have like a um, bracelet, you know, on me that was uh, from Thailand. Mm-hmm. So I got to give that to her just as a little gesture for me, you yes. know, of having, you know, this experience. Yeah. So I think a lot of times if I'm traveling with somebody, I'm always thinking, oh, they might not want to do this. Well, first of all, A lot of people don't want to go where I'm going because it's not always physically comfortable. Right. You know? And that's the part that that I was going to ask you about because the places that you do go, I do think it would be physically uncomfortable, but you have a callus for that. Yeah. I love it because, you know, like in Harar, I stayed in an ancient, ancient house with two little old ladies mm-hmm. you know they were muslim they they got up to do prayers like at three o'clock in the morning and it was just this ancient house it was like being in a novel and i remember the next morning you know they like breakfast was included with this little place and they had this like a roti which is like a, a fried pita like mm-hmm. fried flour is always good isn't it yes with honey on it and some mango and then a really strong tea And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm in a novel. And I'm really clear that a lot of people would not be comfortable there because they're thinking the linens are dirty or or this is scary. What if, you know, because it was like to get to the house, I had to go into the old Medina. And it's just little alleyways. Yes. You know, and by the grace of God, I arrived there because I saw this place listed on Lonely Planet. And I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I get there. 
But you know, a lot of people you, don't like the uncertainty of it. You yeah, know, and I, I, totally I could tell understand you, that. I could tell you, I would be uncomfortable, and you wouldn't <laughs> want to travel with me because I'd be like, Trish, we can't go down there. We can't do that. We can't. <laughs> well, also in the morning, you know, I had to go back to the bus stop. I had to walk out of the Medina. The Medina is always the walled-in ancient part of any city, especially in the Islamic world. And they have live hyenas. They have hyenas that they feed there, just as a tradition. Mm -hmm. And so the hyenas kind of wander around at night. You know, I didn't see any during the day, but I had to leave the little house of these ladies like about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was still dark. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I don't meet up in, with any hyenas. You know, I mean, I was a little concerned. Oh, my God. But, you know, I just go, I'll just beat them a off with my backpack view. or something, <laughs> you know. And uh, luckily nothing happened, you know. Yeah. So, and, and I totally understand, especially at my age. People my age are not going to want to go through that. But I love it. It's just, it opens up my eyes, my heart, my soul. Yes. Every time I have experiences or meet people, you know, in a situation that authentically is where they live. Yes. So incredible. Do you have a favorite place? Yes. My favorite place on the entire planet. Now, I've been to 58 countries. 58. My 58. There's so many more to go. Yeah, you know, I know. I know you're not done. Well, now that you're <laughs> retired, you're unstoppable. Exactly. You know, now I have the time, praise God. But Bali is my favorite place on earth. Wow. Okay. It's very, very touristy, mm -hmm. especially Ubud, which I love. Ubud is located right in the middle of the island. It's part of Indonesia. You know, I mean, Indonesia is made of thousands of islands, comprised of thousands of islands. And Bali is unique, not only to Indonesia, but to the planet. It's Hindu. The rest of Indonesia is indigenous beliefs and religions, and it's Muslim. But Bali is Hindu, but it's nothing like the Hinduism in India. Oh. It kind of created its own brand of Hinduism. Mm -hmm. Because my understanding is that the intelligentsia, the artists, the thinkers, the dancers, the musicians all left Jakarta at one time or wherever it was on Java, maybe it was in Jakarta, wherever the capital was for this particular civilization. And they all went to Bali. I think the thing that seduced me to it was the spirituality because everything is spiritual from building a house when somebody is going to build, you know, a building, it's always a husband and a wife that put down the first two stones. And when babies are born, the umbilical cord, the placenta, is buried right there on the family compound. Wow. Because the families live, you know, transgenerationally in one compound. And there's always at the very front of the compound, there's uh, like the spirit center. And so everybody's placentas and umbilical cords would be buried there. It's wow. like you're part of that land, you know, and it's just... Everything, you know, every morning and every evening, wherever you are, a homestay, a hotel, a shop, you'll see, you know, a lady or a guy come out with a sarong and the belt and a little tray of homemade offerings that are woven. They're like small works of art in of themselves. There is always an offering in the morning at night, you know, and then they take the little Bali flower and they dip it in holy water and they sprinkle it all around and do whatever prayers they do. It is the one place on the planet where I have felt what it's probably like to be really, really happy. I'm getting a little oh, choked up I'm right so, now. I'm so glad. You know, but it's like this happiness, you know, that I had no TV, no radio, no iPod. One time that I was there, I was there for six weeks because I just couldn't leave. I was staying in a homestay with the Rye family on Hanuman Road. And I would open my window, my bamboo window, and I would look at the rice patties with a band of ducks, with the little ducklings, and I remember the feeling of just opening the window and go, my God, I'm so happy here. Aww. And I just couldn't leave. Yeah. And I'm getting emotional right now because that kind of happiness, you know, is like, wow, this is what it is. And it's so simple. You know, I didn't have all this crap that yeah. I have in my basement right now that I have in all my drawers. <laughs> right. I just had a few beautiful skirts, you know, that I bought there and really simple stuff and just eating simple food. But everything spirit was right there. That's and amazing. here, I think when I'm in the States, I feel in many other places, I feel like I really have to work hard to stay centered. And in Bali, I didn't have to work hard. Yeah. You know, it was just, that's what it is. There was something about it that also recalled my early childhood when I was being raised in Michoacan, where I was nurtured. I was like in a cocoon with a bunch of aunties, my tias, my grandmother, my mother. My father was not there. He was up here working. 
I had this like cocoon where I was in. Yeah. You know, and I had that feeling in Bali that living in a transgenerational home and and then just having for lack of a better word, not everybody uses the word God, but to have God right there. Yes. You no, know? and it's here all the time and I realize that, but I really have to work on it to remind myself all the time. Yeah. God is right here right now. Peace is here right now. Yes. When I was in Bali, it was like automatic. Wow. I was just in it. Wow. Thank you for letting me recall that because I thank you for recalling that it. in a lot of time. gift that you shared it here on the podcast. <laughs> I'm choked up. My <laughs> eyes are watering. That's a beautiful story. It's so something that I think everybody wants. I strive for joy constantly, but it is really hard work. And I do often think about uprooting my life, giving up everything, and just having like a very small, simple life. I know I would be happy. I understand what you're saying about being here and having it be quite a struggle. I mean, I think it's why we're all so distracted and like doing all the things and going out drinking and doing all the bars and the brunches because it's like a distraction from what is. Yes. We talked earlier about running from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then you said something about the traveling being running away from yourself. I started traveling to run away. You know, and, and I was running away from myself, but I was also looking and looking for peace. Yes. And again, I'm going to substitute the word God for peace or for love, because really, I think it's the same thing. The word God, this, the word peace, the word love is the same. And I was always looking for love. I was always looking for God. I was always looking for peace. And so I would go places and I would never find it. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, Bob Marley says you can run, 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 but you can't run away from yourself. And it's so true mm -hmm. because whatever I was thinking about myself or whatever I was moving through with myself or whatever issues or self-doubt or self-hatred or whatever, body hatred, whatever I was going through in, you know, Los Angeles, California or the Valley, California or whatever, I took it with me wherever I went. Still That's interesting. Same, yeah, you know, and that was like, I went to so many places, you know, I went to India, I went to, stayed at an ashram with Sai Baba, I was a devotee for a long time. But, you know, in retrospect, as I sit here, it was still healing because even though I was running away from my unhappiness, going to these places, and especially the places that I consider holy, which is probably everywhere because, you know, Jesus the Christ said, you know, where we're standing is holy ground. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. But I went to so many places, you know, to Machu Picchu or to the ashram, Sai Baba's ashram in India or the temples of Bali or in later years, wherever, Stonehenge or the pyramids of Egypt or, you know, so many holy places, St. Francis of Assisi in Assisi in Italy, anywhere. I think those things in retrospect were still, they still helped to center me. They still helped to heal me. And they're still helping me right now. You know, so that's interesting for, you know, the, I, I hadn't thought of that in a long time either. Running away from yourself. The running away from myself. And that even if I was running away from myself, like I said, it was still healing. Yes. Now that I look at it from a far away distance. Yeah. You know, I go, none of that is a waste of time. If you're feeling terrible and you want to go to Taos or New Orleans, mm -hmm. you know, you want to go to see the Hoodoo Voodoo Museum or, you know, do some drinking on Bourbon Street, it's still healing. It still opens you up. It does. Anywhere, you know, that you go and, and you see something new, it opens up your heart and soul. But there's some places, though, and I would say Haiti is in this category because I went to Haiti early on when I was still a, a student at UCLA. I went to study what I thought was, would be folk medicine because I had to do a senior colloquium project for world arts and cultures. And I thought, I want to know about healing plants, medicinal plants, because we have that tradition in Mexico. Little did I know it was in the context of their religion, Afro-Haitian religion, the voodoo, which is a mix of Catholicism and Afri West African beliefs. It just opened me up in so many ways, not just the the ceremonies that I was privileged to have attended because of my friend Eve, who's Haitian, and he took me to these places and he interpreted for me. But because I got to see, I think, the worst poverty that I've seen anywhere in, on the planet. And Haiti is still really, um, the people are still really struggling and always have been. It's the first black republic in the history of the world, the only successful slave revolt. And I remember seeing all over the walls the graffiti that said Mise, which is misery. 
I can see because it's it's really, I mean, people were hungry. It's really, really, really wrenching type of poverty as well as an incredible culture that's unique to the world. That's a piece of Africa in the Caribbean. And the people that are so gracious and so creative, so much art, so much dance, so much music. That experience changed me forever. I think I was 27 when I first went there, and it changed me forever because nothing compares to the intensity of Haiti. Nothing compares to the quote-unquote discomfort, physical discomfort of just riding in a tap-tap, you know, or just walking around Port-au-Prince, or just seeing piles and piles of garbage, or just stepping over a sewer to go into a restaurant. I really, how do you, how do you cope me? How do you cope with those moments that are physically uncomfortable? You know, I, I can really share on that because I remember the heat, you know, the tropical heat and the just intense, you know, I mean, you're in a city that's, you know, there's the guard, nothing functions in Haiti, including there's no garbage pickup, the mail doesn't function and all that. But it's like, I, I remember telling myself, just give into it, you know, just melt into it, just be part of it instead of fighting it. Yes. And also, you know, I mean, it really helped to give me compassion, without a doubt, humility, gratitude. And, you know, you know, I love Anthony Bourdain so much, mm-hmm. you know, my hero, my boyfriend, my, yeah. you know, <laughs> my crush, yes. you know, and he said, you know, I, I always quote this, you know, travel isn't always pretty. Sometimes it hurts. It's not always comfortable. It opens you up, it changes you, and it should change you. And hopefully we leave something good behind. I really, really agree with that because it's those intense experiences like Haiti that I was never the same. I, I would imagine that everything would become easier after something like that. I think it makes it that I have more humility and I leave any sense of... And I, you know, I still have it. Like I haven't traveled for a while. I'm about to leave for three months. I think it makes me aware. Like, don't complain. You know, there's nothing for you to complain about. Yes. So this isn't the perfect bed here. You know, so this isn't the perfect, you know. So, okay, so I'm sleeping on the floor for today or whatever. I remember staying in a Hmong village in northern Vietnam when I was with Adela. And we were staying in a Hmong home. So the, the kitchen is right inside, you know, and they, the hearth is right there. So the there's smoke there and stuff, you know, when people are cooking. And I remember their baby was really sick and was crying the whole night. And Adela and I were staying at a, you know, we were staying just on little mats and then with a mosquito net over us and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I have nothing to complain about here. The baby baby is crying and we're just kind of sending the baby you know some prayers and stuff yes and uh, you know we're going I hope you know the baby's okay and I'm like going this isn't forever you know and I'm like the privileged I'm the well-heeled in this freaking planet yeah you know I'm the last one that should be complaining here and then for myself getting over that entitlement of having to be comfortable all the time I'm not dissing that at all you know no, diss it <laughs> I want you to I really don't you know <laughs> and uh but it's like I am one of the well-heeled in this planet we all are if you're listening to this podcast you're one of the well-heeled people on this planet we have food too much food because you know I complained about I'm eating too much as soon as I walked in the door mm-hmm. you know and I'm like I have nothing to complain about but for me you know so I think some of that has gotten me over any sense of entitlement of being entitled to have a perfect night in a perfect bed in a perfect place. And I think that's opened doors for you because now you can go pretty much wherever you want to go because the fears that the rest of us have that the accommodations aren't going to be the Ritz, they don't really apply to you. And so you just, you live, you live more than the rest of us. And, and, or, you know, you give yourself a chance to see the open windows in the world that you would not have the opportunity to see. But, you know, I understand, you know, because some people might have health challenges that they can't be in like heat or something like that. And that's why I have my, my Instagram. And that's why I'm doing all sharing my travels on social media, because that's my little contribution to the world. It's just like, let me open these windows for those that want to look and maybe for whatever reason, they just can't experience it or don't choose to. Yes. Hopefully, and I, I mean, hopefully it just, because for me, it just brings out this compassion and love. I have, I was born with no fear and no, and, and a lot of love of people. And I'm really grateful for that. So that is what makes me leave and go. And I just want to see more and more, you know, because I just want to see more of how people live and stuff before I exit this particular incarnation. Right. <laughs> and you're doing a great job. Oh, 
I had a question about the physically uncomfortable thing. Do you have a hard time showing or hiding rather that you're physically uncomfortable? Because I feel like the part for me is that I don't know how to act like I'm comfortable when I'm not. Well, that's not true. But it'd just be difficult for me in a really uncomfortable situation to act like I'm not uncomfortable. And I feel like I'd stand out like a sore thumb. Is this where you tap into the actress, Trish, and you just go into character? (laughs) Well, you know, that's interesting because I can be uncomfortable, I think, now. And now that you're asking me this, I think I can be uncomfortable and be okay. Because I think the only time that we would probably make a gesture or, you know, that's like, would probably be if maybe we're judging the situation. Yes. You know, I think yes. it's, I think we could acknowledge, you know, like, oh, darn, it's really hot right here. Yeah. I was just thinking about, you know, because I befriended an Egyptian family in Luxor, and I was invited to lunch several times at their house, a tiny little apartment with a little teeny kitchen. And I remember Ali's mom there making a tagine and tea and stuff like that. And from my own Western eye, and also, you know, that I have this high, you know, I'm a clean freak. Yes. Right? Yes. And so with my own house. So the kitchen, I'm always like, you know, I could take some Ajax here and really scrub this down and stuff, you know, right. that my own personal over cleanliness. Yes. And that kitchen was not from my Western Highland Park viewpoint. Yes. <laughs> and... But you know what? It's like, I think the other part of me that just sees this is how people live and to have compassion to know they are giving me their very best. They're making a tagine with beef in it. And you know that I'm mostly vegan Mm -hmm. and they're doing this for me, you know, and it's like the compassion in me takes over and my love of, wow, I get to live this because I felt like I was in a novel. You know, it's the Muslim ladies are all, they have their cover, their hijab and all that stuff and tiny little small apartment, you know, so everything is like really crowded into a little closet, a little cupboard. And so this is just how people live. And I'm like, wow, I'm privileged to experience this life, this lifestyle, you know, and I ate everything very happily, you know, whatever they gave me. I remember the mom had made bread up on the roof because it's like 115 degrees, you know. Yes. So up oh, on the wow. roof, they, they put the, and this is like, I've seen ancient art of the tombs in ancient Egypt, and they were making the bread. I noticed, you know, I, I teach history and I studied art history. So I'm like, oh my God, they're doing the bread exactly like, you know, back in 2500 BC, Yeah, you know, right here on this roof, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's like, wow, why on earth would I want to miss that? That's amazing. That is amazing. So to have those experiences, you know, in talking with you right now, it is such a high for me to have these experiences that are so out of the ordinary for my own life here. Mm-hmm. And from my own life experience, that all of the quote unquote discomfort of quote unquote, you know, kitchen not clean to my standards, beef instead of tofu, all of that goes out the window because it's like, wow, I observe myself in certain places and I'm like, I can't believe that I'm living this right now. It's like being inside a book. Yeah. Or it's like being inside a history book. I hope you write a book one day because I would read the <laughs> hell out of it. I really would. I would read anything that you write. Oh, my God. I've, I've, I have so many, you know, so many stories and stuff. And I, I'm, I'm so sure. grateful, you yes. know, that. And it expands my mind. I think sometimes, and this isn't saying that it's good or bad or right or wrong, you know, because not everybody wants to see things beyond their own backyard. And that's okay. But I think it separates us in the United States. Some of us that choose to see, you know, beyond what we know in our country or in our region, it separates us from people. It can. Because it's almost like, God, how can I explain this? I guess, you know, for example, in dating. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've always um, thought, wow, it'd be really cool, you know, to know a man who wants to travel in this way, you know, that would be amazing. And I remember when I was actually dating, now I'm putting no effort in that part, (laughs) you know, but I remember, you know, one of the things that I always asked is, do you travel? You know, and a lot of times they would say, I remember one gentleman, you know, saying, yeah, I do travel. You know, I go to Vegas several times a year and I have year long passes to Disneyland. (laughs) 
And that's okay. You yes, know? yes, yes. But I knew that we were not going to be speaking the same language. Right. It's not that anybody's better or worse. It's just a different language. Yes. And, and how good that you're aware of that. Because I love the fact that you've built this life for yourself where you get to do what you want. And you're happier for it, I think. I mean, you, you're you not just fearless in the travel, but I also have down here that there were a few years ago, was it COVID year that somebody shot at you? Oh, when I got carjacked in Highland Park. Yes. Yes. You know, that was life-changing. I'm I'm sure it was. It Can was you tell us that story? Yes, that was... Um, I was so know. worried about you that day, by the way. When I found out, I was like, we have to go over there. And because I think it was COVID. It was COVID. It was July 30th, 2020. Uh, nine o'clock in the morning, I went to Home Depot because I was having my house painted inside and out. Went to Home Depot to get something. And I was coming back nine o'clock in the morning, going up a hill to turn left to go to my house. I was a, like a block away from the house. And two young men walked across the street, but they stopped right in the middle. It's a very narrow street that's straight up a hill. And I was going uphill. And they stopped right in the middle. And then, you know, I didn't know what was going on. It was like, I stopped because I thought they were just crossing. But then they came up and they put their bodies right up against the hood of my car. And one of them lifted his T-shirt. He had a black T-shirt on. And he had a weapon there. You know, I mean, I don't know anything about weapons, but I know it was like a semi-automatic of some sort. Oh, my God. So I'm just like sitting there with eyes wide open going, oh, my God, I, I couldn't make sense of it. And I looked up to the passenger side window and he shot into it. That's what my mind saw. But a couple of weeks later, when I got my car back, actually, the a bullet hole was right by the rearview mirror which was not too far away from my head, oh, actually. I and know. But there was, I'll, I'll explain what was hanging there in a minute. So I stopped. I was kind of in shock. And they both went to the, there was two young men. They went to either side of my car. The shooter was on my side. And they were like gesturing to put the windows down. And I did. And they're like, get out, get out. I thought they wanted money. I had a little purse, a little shoulder purse. And I wanted, but they go, give us your phone. Give me your phone. The shooter over here. So I opened my door and I gave him my phone. And my dog, Marlin, my black lab, was in the back seat. Oh. And so I was going to get out and stuff and but I wanted my dog I said please let me take my dog and Marlon had already like jumped over you know and trying to get into the front seat Aww. and one of the boys on the other side one of the kids that he was like go to your mom you know my dog came and we went and we ran to and hid behind a big palm tree and they took my car, you know, they just made a U-turn, took it, they crashed it up in Cypress Park somewhere. They so took your phone too? They took my phone, yeah. Wow. So about an hour later, when the police came, <laughs> a neighbor right there, somebody who saw everything goes, I saw everything, you know, and we have it on camera and whatever. Oh, and goes, really? um, I'll drive you home. So a neighbor drove me like a block down, you know, to my house. I didn't know what to do. And my painters, you know, Freddie and Eric, they were all really concerned. So I looked on my Mac and saw that my phone was beeping on Avenue 52. And so Freddie, the painter, and I went down to look for it. But then I got scared because I go, what if they're around here? Yeah. You know? Aww. So we went back home. And then the police later came about and interviewed me a little bit for about, a, you know, they came about an hour later, a couple hours later. And then they took me to the site because they wanted to get bullet casings. So they went and got bullet casings. And then we went over to Avenue 52, where I told them that my phone was beeping. One of the officers found it underneath a car. So obviously, they just wanted me to not have any communication. They just didn't want you to call the police. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So I was like traumatized that day. My brother made me go to his house. I was oh. like throwing up and stuff. I was like, oh, Trish. you know, and, and I was like in shock. I'm right? sure. Sure. So the thing that fixed me up when I went to my brother's, he gave me a shot of Jameson whiskey. Yeah. And that's, you know, like <laughs> that'll a do cure it all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. that got me straight right there. But, you know, after that, it was really amazing because I was like had PTSD for like a couple of weeks and I didn't want to put anything on Facebook or anything because I was afraid the shooter might be in the neighborhood and recognize me or something. Oh. But I decided in that moment, you know what, I'm not going to live in fear. I posted it on Facebook and, and I put my favorite, you know, I don't know a lot about the Bible, but what I do, there's some scriptures and Psalms that I love. And this one is Psalm 121, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it says, the Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so I decided, no, I'm going to continue to travel. I'm not buying a gun. I'm not going to live in fear. 
it's kind of like it was a declaration that I made. And also with, you know, a lot of help from friends and from uh, family and from Agape, my spiritual center, I was like had PTSD for about a month, you know, wow. and I, I have once in a while, I get a glimpse of it here and there. Yeah. You how know, does that, but I how got does that show it. up? Now, not so much, but then I would be triggered by a young man that looked kind of like the young man that was the shooter that was on my side of the door. Yeah. I would be triggered by that. But that had so many blessings. One of them is that I bought my ocean house that I have in Rosarito two weeks after I closed escrow because of that carjacking. Because of the pandemic, you know, I was in escrow for this oceanfront condo in Rosarito. But then I go, no, no, you know, my fear of financial ruin, you know, came forth. And I'm like, no, I'm not buying it because I don't know what the economy is going to do. And I'm just going to, you know, wait till the owner jumps out so I can get my deposit back and all that. But after I got carjacked, I'm like, no, I'm going to live my dreams. Yes. So I called my agent down in Rosarito and I go, you know, let's close this. Let's close escrow. Yeah. I'm going to buy it. And yes. I did it. You know, it's an amazing place. Oh, it's place. so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's like that, just the aware, this awareness that I already knew. Because I always get this question for anybody who is afraid of traveling. I think a lot of us are mesmerized by our lifestyle. You know, we think this is the best place in the world. And I love this country. It is. We're so truly, truly overblessed and blessed, you know. However, what is great? But people are afraid, you know, a lot of times, well, yeah, we hear this in the news, we can't, some people are afraid to go to Europe, you know, and Europe is like, so easy to travel and so wonderful and all that, let alone going to somewhere like, you know, islands in the Philippines or Borneo or something, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've traveled to 58 countries, and I've never been robbed. I've never been pickpocketed. I've never been shot at. Shot at. (laughs) (laughs) It just, you know, kind of reinforced that. I'm like, here, stuff can happen anywhere. This was 9 o'clock in the morning, a block away from my house, in Highland Park, for God's sakes, you know? And nothing's happened to me anywhere else in the world. Also, you know, now I have my house in Rosarito, and I know some people are afraid to go, even though it's a three-hour drive, people are afraid to go into Mexico. And again, because I see this on the news, and oh my God, I'm an American, they're looking for me, or whatever, you know, whatever our, our fears, our demons in our minds are telling us. But still, ultimately, why have any fear? Because I really believe that, you know, we're on a mission in this life. And if our mission is not over, it's not over. My mission was not over July 30th, 2020. No. There was a bullet hole just inches away from my head. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it wasn't my time. Right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't over. So why not travel fearlessly? Yes. You know, or do whatever it is here in, you know, in your own place, in your own town, Fearlessly. I remember just, I mean, where we're at right now is we're not that near Cerritos, but I remember decades ago during Labor Day weekend, a plane fell into some houses in Cerritos. Wow. I'm like, oh my God, you know, you're at home. You're like, oh my God, there's too much traffic on the freeway. We're not driving anywhere, too many accidents, or we're not, you know, whatever. And here you're watching TV in your own den, you know, in Cerritos, and a darn plane falls on your house. That's really (laughs) putting it into perspective, too, because that really could be any moment. Like, even if you try, if it's your time, it's your time. It's your time. It's (laughs) It's coming for you. (laughs) So all the more reason to, you know, live every single second to the ultimate degree, you know, because we don't know. I believe in another life, but let me just... Like I was telling your husband a minute ago, milk this life for all it's got. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't, I know I've traveled with no money, with some money, with, you know, a lot of, not a lot, I don't think I've, you know, but with enough money. And that is not a factor. It's whatever is setting you back, whatever is pulling you down, whatever is keeping you from moving forward fully, you know, the time is right here, right now. This is it. Yes. The king, you know, the kingdom of God is right where we're standing is holy ground. This is where we do it right here, right now. Yes. So anyway, Amazing. I don't know how I got off on that. That was, no, but. we talked, you know why? Because you still haven't talked about what was hanging from your rear view mirror. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because that's an important part oh of the story. God. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me of You're that. You're welcome. Because I remember when you told me I felt moved by that. Yes. So on my rear view mirror is hanging a beautiful scallop shell that's about maybe four inches by three inches. And that scallop shell hung on my backpack 
when I did the Camino de Santiago de Compostela in 2009. And the Camino de Santiago de Compostela is an ancient walk from the Middle Ages. I think they started doing it like in 700 AD. There's different paths, but I did the French way. It's called the Way of St. James. And I walked from the Pyrenees, the border of France and Spain, to Santiago de Compostela, which is in western, western Spain. And that's 500 miles or 797 kilometers, and it took me 42 days. Two days I rested, so it was 40 days that I walked, which is very significant, you know, 40 days in the desert for the Israelites or whatever, yes. according to the Old Testament, I think. Yes, it is. And um, 40 days so it took 40 me 40 days. days. So I carried that shell through forests, farmland, cities, mountains, in a journey where at that time in 2009, I chose not to have a phone or to have an iPod. And so I had to be face to face with myself. And it was not pretty. I'm sure. I'm sure that's when the demons come out. Oh, yeah. Or memories, you know, and things like, oh, my God, these choices I made are so stupid, you know, and just so much came up, you know, there would be hours that I would be laughing hours that I would be crying. And then a lot of boredom, where I'd be walking and walking and walking, because I was doing like an average of 18 miles a day, anywhere between 14 and 24 miles a day. And I carried that scallop shell. So that scallop shell was very significant. It's a symbol of the way of St. James, of, the, of this pilgrimage path from the Middle Ages that is still done today. And I had that hanging from my rearview mirror. And that's where the bullet hole went in. Nothing happened to the shell. I'm going, you know what? I am so protected. You know, it's just <laughs> the energy of, of the Camino and the energy of the holy places where I've been. I'm really convinced mm-hmm. that, you know, wherever we are, we're absorbing that holiness. wherever we go. Mm -hmm. And then my tattoo that has like seven religions on it. I'm like, Oh, my God, I think that helped me too. You know, know, like these lucky charms. Yes, you know, and so it's there now. And now I'm about to go on the Camino again. So now it's been 14 years ago that I did it. And I'm going to start the Camino. I'm leaving the state September 7th. And I'm probably going to start the Camino around maybe around the 12th of September. I don't know how long it's going to take me, you know, if it's 40 days or 50 days, I don't know. But I'm going to do that again, because I'm doing that as an offering for this phase of my life. Since I just retired, mm. since I'm 63, but think I'm 23. We all <laughs> you do. Are. We all do. <laughs> you really are, though. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm doing that as my prayer, you know, for this part of my life. Wow. And, you know, just to see what what comes, you know, what will be revealed, you know, what is my direction? What is my place? You know, what is what is it that I must do? What is it that I must give up? What is it that I must embrace? So that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much. That sounds amazing. Thank you. You're incredible, Trish. You really are. Wow. (laughs) You're the least fearful person I know. And this was before you even said it about yourself. I said, you travel everywhere. You open your home to people. You have this Airbnb that I'll tell you, I love people. I really do. I love just about everyone I meet. But letting them into my home sometimes, that scares me. I totally understand. And you open a room in your house to Airbnb guests, and you have made so many friends, and you've introduced me to so many incredible people who I never would have met unless you opened your door. And that's that's you. That's just you saying yes to so much, and I, I love that about and, you. And I have nothing has ever been missing. I've been doing it 10 years in Highland Park, and now my Airbnb in Rosarito. And it's all love from these people. I know. And you You have that book with all the best notes. Yeah. And, you know, we wouldn't have met Philip Wu from Japan. I know. My friend uh, Irina from Romania, who now lives in Canada, she took me, you know, I stayed with her in Romania and she took me to Dracula's castle, which was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) This is so incredible. You know, and just so many friends, you know, I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia on this on this trip and, you know, to... Well, these two young men, actually Abdullah and his wife stayed with me once, but I met them on a safari in Tanzania in 2018, I think it was. You know, so you just meet these people, you know, and then you like, I mean, we would have, who, Philip, you know how amazing he is as a musician. No, he's like, like, we would have never met him without Airbnb. He's like really amazing. (laughs) I had no idea the degree at which this man was like involved in the music world. Yeah. Especially because he's like crashing on your couch in Highland Park. And you think like this successful musician producer? 
Is he also he, a producer? He's done everything. He worked with everybody. Honestly, yeah. he really did. Because Ralph will show me some like videos that come up about like bands back in the 80s and the 90s. And he's like, check out who's in this video. It's Philip Wu. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my God. Yeah, it is. And yeah. we've had we've had wine with that guy. We smoked a joint with that guy. Yes. And he crashes on your couch in Highland Park. Yeah. What well, a humble guy. In, he stayed in the Airbnb room, you know, originally. But, oh. you know, then another time he just, hey, coming down. And I think I was booked and go, come on down anyway, you know, stay on the sofa bed, you know? Yeah. And yeah, you know, you make brands and I know nothing's going to be ever stolen. I I just know that. And you have to share a bathroom with them and everything. Yeah. And you you know, it all works out, you know, as long as we keep everything up and nice and, and it's perfect. And I've gotten incredible friends, you know, from my Airbnb. Yes. I hate to give it up, you know. Don't give it up. I, I think it's wonderful. I think that you are wonderful. But you also karaoke like anywhere and everywhere. I'm a closet singer. Yeah. I'm so, you know, it's well, not in the closet because I'll hug, I'll hog up a microphone. But you know, my mom was a singer. I just love, love, as you know, I love to sing. And you know, in this lifetime, I've got to be realistic. I'm never going to be a ballerina. I'm never going to be a a legong dancer in Bali. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to be a singer. You know, but I can I can express myself anyway. Yes, you know? I think you can be a singer. Why not? You know what one of my favorite videos is is uh, you singing the mañanitas to me on my birthday oh. maybe two three years ago. You sent me a video, and I remember when I listened to it, I wept. I was so happy. Like nobody had ever sent me a video of themselves singing. And it was one of the greatest gifts I've ever received on my birthday. I still have it. I still listen to it every year on my birthday. Oh, I'm so glad because, you know, that was my mother's ministry. She used to, but, you know, she was on the phone. She didn't do uh, FaceTime or, you know, videos. But she called everybody on their birthday on the on the phone and sang to them. She mm. had a great, really strong voice. And so I've kind of carried on her ministry, but with videos. It's just such a, you know, I love doing that. You know, I love sen- sending a song to friends, you yes. know, on their birthday. You know, it's my way of just showing love. Well, you're also in the choir at Agape. Are you, or is that I'm still? Back. I'm back. Okay. I'm going back again. Yeah. Okay. The, you know, the, the music of Agape. You know, it's a, for those that don't know, it's Agape International Spiritual Center with Reverend Michael Beckwith. I was in the choir for years and years, and now I'm just coming back after the pandemic. And the music by Ricky Byers, you know, especially her songs are so healing. It is one of the most it's, amazing musical performances I've ever seen. All the music at Agape, you know, Carl Anderson used to sing with us, passed away. So, you know, he, he played the original Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, okay. And he's like my hero oh, hero. Wow, and yes. he was, he's amazing. He sang with our choir so many times and we have other incredible singers. And to me, you know, and I know your husband definitely feels this way i mean music is so healing mm-hmm. you know and i think in my broken 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 days you know one of the things that started healing me was the music of agape and singing in the choir because wow. i would go to sleep with the lyrics and i would wake up with the lyrics mm-hmm. that's really the only reason i know psalm 121 i think because one of our songs was whom shall i fear wow. the lord is my life and my salvation and that song was just like oh my god because you know some of us have more broken parts within us than others. And I definitely had a lot of broken parts. Mm-hmm. And the music was just like, oh, my God, you know. It, it really the beginning it, of it a moves lot you. of healing for me. Yes. yes. I think that's how Ralph got so into CV Wonder, actually. It oh, was the Agape Choir. Yes. And he said that he went to go see you perform in the choir and that they did as. all. As. They did as. Mm-hmm. Yes. And... He said that he was moved to tears, that it was so beautiful. And then when he and I met, he took me. One of the first things we ever did with you, I think, was go and see you sing in the choir at Agape. I remember remember him bringing you there. That was wonderful. And it is. It was, you know, my mom didn't speak English, but she loved our choir. Mm -hmm. And she wanted so much to understand what Reverend Michael was saying. Because I just want to understand. I'm going, oh, just close your eyes. You know, your spirit knows what he's saying anyway. And she loved, loved, loved music. My grandfather was a musician. My uncles were musicians. And my mom was, you know, sang. I mean, nobody did professionally, but they had an orchestra that they went around all the little towns in Michoacan. So I think that's where my musical interest comes in. I love it. You know? And you do love music. 
I I feel like we've shared a lot of karaoke nights. We've <laughs> shared a lot of bottles of champagne. Champagne and karaoke go so well together. Yes. <laughs> we we've had some great times, Trish. Yes. It's been a pleasure knowing you. Yeah. Well, I I just love you and Ralph so much and you know, just to have this opportunity to sit down and talk and to share. I am really beyond honored and uh, grateful. I'm honored and grateful. <laughs> this is the greatest gift because I want there to be a record of your existence. Like your story is so amazing since the very beginning. Like every story you've ever told me, everything you've ever shared with me resonates with me in this beautiful way. And every time that I am with you, I do feel like you carry the Holy Land because I am healed in your presence. Every single time that we hang out, every single time that you speak to me, I am healed. Well, I I feel the same way about you. You know, and that's what I think ultimately that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. You know, we're here to bring bring a light. And even if we have darkness within us, it's OK. Yeah. You know, just acknowledge that it's like I have darkness within me. Yeah. But I also have light within me. And ultimately, the darkness and the light are the same thing. God is in the light and God is in the dark. Yeah. The presence is in the light and the presence is in the dark. So it's really the same. Both are the same to me. And one of our songs was about that. You know, I am in the darkness. I am in the light. See me if you can everywhere I am. And that's so true. Yes. So I'm really grateful for you, and I'm really grateful for Ralph. I love you both so much. Oh, Trish. And for giving me this opportunity. Of course. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything, any, like, piece of advice that you want to give the people about travel, about what it means? Compassion, openness, love, understanding. That's what I think you will gain if you want to travel and there's something keeping you from it the reward is so much greater than whatever is keeping you from doing that if that's something you want to do and allow yourself just in allowing to break the barriers you know and just setting the intention world universe god lord whoever whatever i just want to see the world with eyes wide open I think if you just use that as an affirmation and a prayer, you know, you can break through those barriers because the rewards are so, so beyond and above your wildest dreams. And so it is. And so it is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Trish. I love you. I love you too.